I don't know if anybody's noticed it this morning, but just as we were singing, the songs that we've been singing this morning, uh, Amazing Love, Jesus, You Are My King, or just now talking about how the circling ages come around until that age of gold, how we keep looking forward to this return of Jesus, to this return of Christ. Thanks, Rick. And how we keep looking forward to his return. And, and this morning we're going to be diving into Isaiah chapter 11, uh, verse 1 to 10. And I'm realizing this week as I've been working through this passage that I feel two things. And I don't know, maybe some of you might recognize it too, but I feel two things as I read this passage. And the first thing I feel, the, the most thing I feel, is hope and encouragement and joy of what it will be like. What has already begun in Jesus and his reign on earth, but also what it will be like when he comes and his kingdom comes fully. That's the first thing I feel, and that's mostly what I feel. But also I feel this, this tiny little twinge of disillusionment, of discouragement. Because Jesus has come and things are different and they're better now. But also we still see how broken the world is around us. We hear of family with car crashes and we hear of people and, and father-in-laws who are struggling with faith and we hear of, of things in our own lives. We see things going wrong in the world around us. And we say, Jesus, I trust you. I know you've brought your kingdom. But Lord, I want to see more of it. I want to see more. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Has anybody had that same question or that same thought? I mean, we know Jesus is Lord. We know that he's the Messiah, the King who's come. I mean, we hear about it all the time. We sing about it. That He is the Messiah, the King, the Savior King who has come to redeem us, to reconcile us to God, to make things right, to restore all of creation. We know this. And, and Jesus said Himself, the time has been fulfilled, the reign of God has begun. Repent and believe the good news. It began with Jesus. And we know this reign is here. And yet we still feel this tension this subtle, maybe not so subtle, twinge of disillusionment. God, why doesn't it look like what you talked about, what the prophet Isaiah spoke of? Of wolves living with lambs and leopards lying down with goats and calves and lions and the yearling all together and a small child leading them. God, when is that going to happen? We talked about it two weeks ago when we dove into Second Samuel. That's the place where God makes this amazing promise to his servant David, to this great king, that he would always have a king on the throne. And yet, it was two generations later, David's, great, or David's grandchildren who split the kingdom of Israel between the north and the south. And then a few hundred years later, the north kingdom was taken into slavery, into Assyria. And then a few hundred years after that, the southern kingdom was taken into exile into Babylon. The people of God were hearing this promise, trusting this promise, and yet they were seeing a difference between the way things played out. And they kept looking forward. They kept looking forward to the Messiah that would come because God is faithful to his promises. Now, don't get me wrong. Things are not all horrible. I mean, the kingdom of God has come and we see evidence of it. I think of people that I've learned about in, in my life, like William Wilberforce a faithful follower of Jesus who was instrumental, led the abolition of slavery in the British Empire. I think of people like Martin Luther King, 
a Baptist pastor who led the civil rights movement in, in the States and helped many people have new rights, African Americans to have rights and equality. I think about, maybe you haven't heard of him, Hermann Franke, who lived in Germany. And he started uh, Sunday schools for children for free. It became the, the, the beginning or the beginnings of, of Sunday schools and eventually public schools, free public schools. These are faithful Christians who've done amazing things. But you don't have to look to these huge, famous people. There are faithful Christians all around the world doing things like starting hospitals and clinics, nursing homes, orphanages and schools, starting well projects and caring for their communities right here, right now. The kingdom of God is breaking through. But we can't help but say, God, I would love to see more. I'd love to see more of your kingdom in my life. I'd love to see more of your, of your kingdom in our community. And we start asking this question, God, how are you doing this? Lord, with things as broken as they are, as troubled as it is, Lord, how are you bringing your kingdom? That's why I'm thankful for the word of God. The scriptures speak to us still today. They continue to remind us of who God is and remind us of his promises. To show us how God has done all these things and fulfilled them in Christ, in Jesus, and how he is coming again to make all things new and good. The thing I wanted to start with this morning is that, that we begin with this promise. We talked some about it two weeks ago when we were looking through 2 Samuel, but Isaiah brings it up again, or God brings it up again through Isaiah. If you would look with me at your bulletin, you'll have your, your insert. There's this white sheet. And there, on one side, there's a sheet that says Isaiah 1 to 10, or some 11 verses 1 to 10. The first thing I want to do is, is just read this first bit. It says, A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding. The spirit of counsel and power. The spirit of knowledge and of fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. I want us to see first is that this king that, that God is talking about through Isaiah is going to have God's spirit on him. He's going to have amazing abilities given by God's spirit. This this king is going to be greater than any mortal. No mere mortal could do what this king will do. And this king, not only is he going to be greater than any human, but he's going to do things by the Holy Spirit, not by human ways. See, the human way for a king is to rule with power and with fear when they need to, with violence when they need to. That's how kings of the world today rule. But this king will come and he will rule by God's Holy Spirit. And this spirit will give him knowledge and wisdom. It's surprising when you think about it. Not, not at a vast army necessarily. Not military might, but wisdom and counsel and understanding and power. The thing I want us to take a look at is one, what kind of king this will be that one, he'll have the Spirit of God on him, but also the Spirit will be a Spirit of wisdom. And I want just to take just a second to talk just about the Hebrew idea of wisdom. 
See, in the Hebrew world, wisdom had this two components. It had knowledge, what you knew, and character. That you were a faithful follower of God, that you knew how to apply what you knew. This great king will not only know a lot because he is, has God's spirit on him, but also he will know how to apply what he knows. He'll be just and right. So I wanted to see first that as Isaiah is speaking of this king, that this great king will have amazing ability. He'll have God's spirit on him and the spirit will give him wisdom. Look with me here at number two. He says, He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. Not only is this great king going to have amazing ability, amazing ability uh, with God's spirit and wisdom, but also he's going to rule rightly. He's not going to rule by appearances. He's not going to rule by the appearance or the things that he sees with his eyes or the things that he hears with his ears. He's going to rule rightly by God's Spirit. His Spirit is going to guide him. this amazing thing that this king will do. And not only that, but he's going to give judgment. He's going to judge rightly for the weakest and the most vulnerable. See, in the ancient world, kings had this responsibility to care for the weak, to care for the poor. But you know how society works. You know how people work. The people with power put pressure to make the king or the government do what they want to do. And even though the king may have a responsibility to all people, especially the the weak and the vulnerable, they end up playing to the powerful, to the people who feel like they're holding the cards. This king will not do that. This king will minister to all in justice and righteousness. He will take care of the weak and the vulnerable. That's how this king will rule. But the amazing thing too, not only is this king amazingly given God's spirit and God's wisdom, not only is he going to rule with justice and righteousness, caring for even the most vulnerable, but his kingdom is going to bring about amazing fruit. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. And the calf and the lion and the yearling together And a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. And their children will lie down together. The lion will eat straw like an ox. The infant will play near the hole of the cobra. The child will put its hand into the nest of vipers. They will neither harm nor destroy each other on all of God's holy mountain. For on the earth, or the whole earth will be filled with the knowledge of God, like the waters cover the seas. In that day, the root of Jesse will be like a banner to all peoples, and all the nations will rally to him. And his peace will be glorious. The place of his rest 
will be amazing. Not only is God given, not only is this king given God's spirit to rule rightly, he's actually going to do it and be right in justice and be right and just. But also, when he does this, God's kingdom will come. This, this, these pictures of, of wolves living with lambs and leopards lying down with goats. This is one of the ways, this is a, a Hebrew way of saying God's kingdom is coming. This is what God's kingdom will look like. And there's no mistake today that we are, that this, this is the second Sunday of Advent, the Sunday of peace. Because this image that Isaiah is talking about is the image of God's shalom, the fullness of God's peace. It's like every day being Christmas Day. Every day being better than Christmas Day. The fullness of God's peace is not just that bitter enemies will stop shooting at each other, but that bitter enemies will set down their guns, they will come together and they will embrace and they will sit down at a meal and celebrate together. That's what God's peace looks like. Fullness of provision. Relationships reconciled. Relationships with your spouse. Relationships with your parents or your kids. Reconciled to your neighbor or your friend. That's the fullness of God's peace. That is God's shalom. That's what what Isaiah is speaking about here when he talks about wolves living with lambs and leopards lying down with goats, cows eating with bears and their children lying down together. This image of God's peace. That His kingdom will come and it will be amazing. A place of God's fullness and peace. So this is where we begin. We begin with the promise of a Savior King that God made to His servant David to his great king that then Isaiah picks up here and reminds us of. God has made this amazing promise. And it's begun in Jesus. The kingdom begins with Jesus. The reign of God begins with him. And I see some of you looking at the sign looking at the screen behind me, fulfilled when Jesus returns. Sometimes when we think of God's kingdom, we immediately jump to, oh, we can't wait for Jesus to return. And it's right and it's good. It's going to be amazing when Christ returns. There is no doubt about that. We look forward to it. And it's, and, it's, and it's right that we, with the rest of the church, pray, Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus, come. Bring your kingdom. Make things right, finally. Fix everything that is broken here in this world. That's why I love the season of Advent, too. It's a season when we look back and we remember that Jesus came, that the Messiah has come. And they called Him Emmanuel, God with us. God came and lived among His people after a long time of waiting for Him to return. But also Advent reminds us to look forward, to look forward to Christ's second coming. He is coming again. And even though his kingdom is now and it's here and it has begun, it's not fully here. And we look forward to Jesus coming to bring the fullness of his kingdom. The trouble is, the trouble is when we think of our hope, of this promise of a Messiah and what the kingdom of God will be like, and we immediately jump to Christ's return, 
we miss a lot of the New Testament. We miss a lot of what the New Testament writers were saying. I think of Matthew and Mark and Luke, John and Paul and Jesus and Peter. They were trying to help us see that not only is God's kingdom coming, but the reality that God's kingdom has already come too. God's king has come and lived among us. The Messiah, Jesus, this Savior King whom He promised, He lived and He died among us already and has risen again and has ascended to God's right hand. We are meant to see that Jesus is this King who has begun the reign of God. And they want us to see that we are His people. That we, the church, the people called out and gathered around Jesus, are the chief means the primary way that God is growing His kingdom until He finally brings it Himself. We, the church, it's begun in Jesus. This promise of a king, of a Messiah coming, it's begun in Jesus. Now we can look through the New Testament and there's lots of places where we hear echoes of this passage from Isaiah. I mean, the fact that out of the, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. And Jesus was born in the house of David. For those, sorry, I made a jump there. Je, David is Jesse's son. The King David was the son of Jesse. And so when the prophet says, a, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, and the fact that Jesus was born in the house of David, in Bethlehem, he's a descendant of David. That Jesus fulfills this. He is this great Messiah, this great King. Or what about the part where, where Isaiah says, the Spirit of the Lord will rest upon Him. I don't know about you, but the first thing I thought of was Jesus, when He came up out of the water, having been baptized, the, the heavens split apart, and the Holy Spirit descended on Him like a dove. And this voice boomed from heaven, this is My Son whom I love. In Him I am so pleased. Or I think too about the time when Jesus was preaching in Nazareth. When He stood up and He opened the scroll and He said to the whole crowd, the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind to set free the oppressed and proclaim the sovereign year of the Lord. This text has been fulfilled in your hearing today. There's these places where Jesus fills out this, this prophecy that Isaiah spoke of, of a great king. In Nazareth, he basically said, the Spirit of God is on me. He has anointed me, which is, anointed is the root word for Messiah. Messiah means anointed one to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim the sovereign year of the Lord, that the kingdom has come. Jesus is filling out this prophecy. And we could go through the New Testament and look at all these different places, but I want to take just one story and talk with you about it. The story that came to my mind, the story that came to my mind was Matthew chapter 12. When Jesus is at a synagogue with a man who had a withered hand. 
just said in, in the Greek, it actually said it was dried up. I don't know if that meant he had some sort of injury or maybe he was born that way, but his hand didn't work. Luke tells us it was his right hand that didn't work. And so the Pharisees, the legalists, they tried to catch Jesus. They saw this guy was here and they said, Jesus, is it okay to heal on the Sabbath? Now, the correct answer, quote-unquote correct answer, would have been only if it's life-threatening. If it's just an injured hand, this man should come to me at sundown after the Sabbath and then I'll heal him so that we can keep the Sabbath holy. But Jesus doesn't say that. He doesn't say that. The Spirit of God is on him. The Spirit of wisdom is on him. He says, how many of you, if you had a sheep that fell into a pit, would not pull that sheep out? And how much more valuable is this man than your sheep? The Sabbath is meant for doing good. It is good to heal on the Sabbath. To restore this man. So he does. He heals the man's hand. And after that, the Pharisees wanted to kill him. So here's Jesus acting in wisdom. The Spirit of God is on him. And he acts wisely. And he does what's right, despite the appearance of things, despite the traditions of things. He does what's right. He does not judge by what he sees with his eyes or what he hears with his ears. But in righteousness, he judges the needy. With justice, he makes, gives decisions for the poor of the earth. People with withered hands. Women with 12 years of bleeding. Children or, or families who their daughter is dying or has died. Lazarus raising him from the tomb. He does justice for the needy. He gives just decisions for those who need help. And we see just a glimpse of God's kingdom in this. This man was born and his hand was not working right. Some sort of disability. It was not what he was meant for. Jesus restored his arm. Restored his hand. And in this we catch just a glimpse of the kingdom of God. Of what the kingdom of God will look like and does look like. When people are healed, when their hands are made well again. In this story, I see Jesus filling out Isaiah's prophecy. That the Spirit of God is on him and so he acts wisely. And not only that, but he does what's right and what's just. And he heals. And in healing, he is restoring creation. It may not be literally a lamb or a wolf living with a lamb, but restoring his hand is restoring creation, setting things right the way they're supposed to be. Jesus Every, all of this reign of God, this kingdom of God, has begun in Jesus the Messiah. It has begun with him. We're still waiting for the rest of it. We're waiting for him to return, but it has already begun. The reign of God is currently happening among us. The reign of God has begun in Jesus, and it continues with us. 
It's lived out in us. At the top of your bulletin insert, the title of this sermon is Live Out Your Hope. Live out your hope. Testify to the good news that the kingdom has come. Live out your hope. What I mean by this is we hope, we have promise of God's great king who is coming to bring his great kingdom. And we look forward to that and we're right to do that. But we are meant to live as kingdom citizens now. As we hope for God's kingdom come, as we look forward to that kingdom and what it will be like when Christ returns, we are meant to live as kingdom citizens now. We're tempted to look for evidence. Lord, we want to see your kingdom. Show me your kingdom. Show me evidence of your kingdom. And I hear the Holy Spirit saying, be evidence of this kingdom. You, the church, we, the church, are evidence of this kingdom. Now, that's not to say that we bring it. I don't think any human, no matter how many of us get together and work as hard as we can, can ever fully bring God's kingdom. That is God's rule. But he will use us to grow his kingdom, to cultivate his kingdom, to prepare the soil for his kingdom. We are kingdom people, meant for kingdom work. I know we can be tempted. We can be tempted to take a a wait-and-see approach. I'm going to wait and see for God's kingdom. I'm going to wait and see what happens, and then I'll join in. Or sometimes we can be tempted, and I don't know about you, but I sometimes I am tempted this way. Lord, show me your kingdom, and then I'll join in. And I hear the Holy Spirit saying, join in and then I will really show you the kingdom. Join in by faith. Join into what God is doing and then you will see the kingdom in ways that you never expected, never realized. Now I know, like we read these prophecies that Isaiah spoke about this great Messiah that would come and, we, and hopefully you're recognizing that it's, it's Jesus. And already we see part of it fulfilled in him when he lived and died and rose again and ascended in heaven, or ascended into heaven. I'm hoping that you're seeing that the kingdom has begun in him, but also we wait for the fullness of his kingdom when he returns. But sometimes it can be hard. We hear how amazing things will be, and we find ourselves thinking, when, Lord Jesus, when? Or we get discouraged. We feel brokenness in our lives. We see it in the way we treat people. We see it in the way people treat each other. And we say, when, Lord Jesus? And maybe we even get discouraged and we resign. God, it is just too broken. I don't even feel like I want to try. Following Jesus is not a spectator sport. Being followers of the king makes us cultivators of the kingdom. Listen to that again. Followers of the king makes us cultivators of the kingdom. We have a role to play. Paul's letters are constantly talking with our brothers and sisters who've lived a long time before us, saying, here's how I want you to go and proclaim this kingdom. Here's how I want you to be a people set apart 
living in a different way that brings glory to God and brings people into this kingdom. Live out your hope. This hope that we have in God's kingdom come, live that way now. Stop looking for evidence. Well, no, I don't want to say that. Sorry. Keep looking for evidence of his kingdom. But don't get hung up on looking for evidence of God's kingdom. Be evidence of God's kingdom. Jesus, when he was risen, he met with his disciples and he said, all authority in heaven on earth, parentheses, because I'm king, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And you will be my witnesses. Witnesses testify. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, even to the ends of the earth. Live out your hope. This hope that we have in Christ's return and His kingdom and how amazing it will be, live as kingdom of citizens of that kingdom now. Don't get caught up looking for evidence of God's kingdom or waiting for evidence of God's kingdom. Be evidence of God's kingdom. Now maybe some of you are like me and you think, okay, I I think I get it. God, you want us to be out there cultivating your kingdom, to be a part of what you're doing in our world and our community. Okay, what does that look like? That's the question that I had, even as I was writing this, even as I was praying and discerning this. Okay, what does that look like? I want to be, first I want to say, the kingdom of God and cultivating God's kingdom is vast and broad and God has made you in many different ways to do it in all sorts of of different unique ways. But I want to give you at least one, at least one guiding thing for this week. For this week, cultivate God's kingdom by pouring into a person's life. By purposely pouring into a person's life. Cultivate God's kingdom by devoting time, maybe to a person you know who's, who doesn't know Jesus yet or who doesn't know how he is the Savior and how we can have new life in him, how we can be forgiven and reconciled to God. Maybe you know someone like that. Devote some time to them for this week. Invite them over for a cup of coffee or take them out for a cup of coffee just for that conversation. How are you doing? I care about you. Maybe there's an opportunity to talk about faith. Take it. But spend time with them. Or maybe it's helping around their house. Maybe you know they have projects that they're working on that you know you can just go over there and help them with them. I know some of you take your friends and your neighbors to hospital or to to hospital appointments. I know some of you who go to somebody's house and just show up and start helping. That's what we're talking about. Devote some time to a person this week. Cultivate God's kingdom by pouring into the life of someone, encouraging them in faith. Live out your hope this week. The hope we have of Christ's kingdom come, live out that hope this week. Purposely pour into someone's life and pray for them. Go and and pray before you go and then when you come back, pray that God will use your time together for his glory in that person's life. Live out your hope, pour into their life and pray for them. Imagine as we do this more and more. 
I know that many of you are doing this already, but imagine, if, if, imagine what it will look like as we as a church do this more and more. I see what it will look like. I see what it will look like. You know what it looks like to me? It looks like these seats that are empty, filled with our friends and our neighbors, the people that we work with, the people that we care about, the people that we want to see have this new life in Christ, I see them here with us, worshiping God with us. I see them praising God in new life, realizing that they are forgiven, realizing they've been reconciled to God, realizing that God has a desire to redeem creation. That's what it looks like to me. This place filled with our friends and our neighbors, the people we care about, the people we want to see have this new life in Christ. This week, I want you to hear the word of God. Hear this amazing promise that God spoke and re-spoke and reminded us of, of us, us of through his prophet Isaiah. That we have a great king. That Jesus is this great king, this Messiah. And that we, his people, are out there cultivating his kingdom. Live out your hope this week purposely pour into someone's life and pray for them. Amen.